Ho, 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 hello, and welcome to Bar Humbug, the Christmas movies podcast that is so close to meeting the plaid-clad man of my dreams. I just need to relocate to a small, snowy town and relearn the meaning of Christmas. I'm your host, Helen O'Hara, and I'm back for a second year of talking you through all the big new Christmas movies in cinemas and on streaming services as they arrive. Now, before we begin, just a word. Last year, I had a sort of discussion format for the podcast where I would match each new Christmas film with a Christmas classic, sometimes via vaguely spurious means, and then discuss both of them with a couple of film journalists or filmmaker friends. This year, I'm trying to mix it up a bit because we're going to run out of classic Christmas movies otherwise. So we're going to have a mix of formats this time. Sometimes it's just going to be an interview with a filmmaker behind one of these movies or an interested third party. Sometimes it's going to be a discussion of a sort of Christmas subgenre, like those weird royal romances set at Christmas. And sometimes it will be a flat out, no holds barred war about whether love actually is that bad, actually. But I still have some fantastic guests coming your way, so hopefully you will enjoy the variety and this will all go well. Think of it as a sort of box of quality street, but without that one flavour that you totally hate. Anyway, enough ado, let's get started. And we are beginning today with a Christmas film that caused a huge amount of discussion on my Twitter timeline when the first trailer dropped a couple of months ago. I'm talking, of course, about A Castle for Christmas, the story of an American romance author called Sophie, played by Brooke Shields, who heads to Scotland after her latest book kills off a beloved character and causes complete uproar among her fans back home. She decides to head for the small town where her grandfather once lived on the grounds of a castle and ends up impulsively offering to buy it from the cash-strapped Duke Miles, who owns it, and lives there. He's played by Carrie Elwes. But slightly dodgily, he insists on a non-refundable deposit and then tries to make her life a misery in order to get her to pull out of the deal and keep his ancestral home. What a scoundrel. Alas for his schemes, the pair fall in love. Will they be able to sort it out by Christmas, which is for some reason a deadline? Well, no prizes for guessing. So this one does have actual movie stars going for it, which is a huge advantage, but is otherwise very much Christmas romances as usual. So to talk about this film, I was completely delighted to learn that romance novelist Jenny Colgan actually lives in a Scottish castle. Now, Jenny, for those who don't know her, is a wildly prolific writer herself, a bestseller like Sophie, and she's written at least eight books set around Christmas time. Her latest, The Christmas Bookshop, is out now, and it's also set in Scotland, obviously at Christmas, so you could hardly do better than to read that if you like this film. I spoke to her recently to find out what the film got right and wrong about both romance and Scotland, and why bats in your belfry are a much bigger deal than you'd think. So let me start with the big question. Is it true you live in a Scottish castle? I do. Yeah, I, I, there are so 6,000 castles in Scotland. <laughs> so it's yes, not... This is true. Like, and, and yes, we should, we should make clear what, what that doesn't necessarily mean you've got like 600 rooms and, uh, you know, everything else. Do you know what? It, it is lovely. I, I, you know, I can't deny it. It is absolutely gorgeous. We live on the, the banks of the Fife. I had no intentions of buying it. And we were right. looking for a house. I should say, by the way, if you're listening to this in any of the world's major cities, then 
however pokey your two bedroom apartment is, it's worth more than our place. <laughs> but um, we got all the kind of estate agents details when we were moving to Scotland and and of all sorts of places, and we couldn't find anything. And this was in the list, and I was like, look at this, haha, <laughs> it's so funny. And of course, my brother and my <laughs> husband were like, well, shall we go and have a look? And we we kind of fell in love with it. So. Amazing. So is it is it very old? Like, how do these things work? Actually, weirdly, it isn't. It looks old and it's built from the ruins of Ross End Castle, but it's actually was built just after the war, which is quite good. It means okay. it's a little warmer than your average. <laughs> a little bit less drafty. <laughs> so have you had a chance to watch the film? What did you think of it, first of all? I have. Oh, it's, it's, when, I, the, the, when Netflix announced that, as you can imagine, my socials were just full of people going, Jen, is this you? Is this you? Because I also, I ride a bicycle everywhere and all the publicity shots had kind of brick shields on a bicycle. And I was kind of uh, slightly dismayed because I write... Um, romantic comedy and and uh quite often set at christmas and for years mm-hmm. we've been trying and begging netflix to kind of you know make one and they not only didn't they make one they just made something else based on my life Somebody which else. was Basically. kind of hilarious <laughs> um so obviously when i saw it was coming it was rather high up on my list to watch it yes absolutely and I think, you know, I'll be honest, like I watch a lot of these films, obviously, for this for this podcast. And I think by the standards of this genre, it's a pretty good one. Like it has proper movie stars in it, which I think helps enormously. Oh, it is. It's tremendously endearing. Yes. Well, I think everyone, I was going to say everyone of a certain age, but actually everybody's watched The Princess Bride. I don't think there's a generation that hasn't watched it since it's made. So I don't think there's anyone that doesn't love him. You know, isn't just happy to see him. He's he's an icon. Also, I tell you what I didn't know about Carrie Elwes is he's um he's posh. He's English and he's like yeah. super posh. He went to like Harrow and stuff, so he actually does quite a good. And I thought it was a quite a good Scottish accent as well. It is really very good. Uh, and I just assumed that he's he'd spent his childhood August, you know, hunting and shooting and fishing up in <laughs> up in the Highlands because um it holds up. It's it's very very good indeed. Yes. So actually, the film is not very big indeed, let, let us be clear. But as representative of the genre, it is charming and it is kind of nice that they're not 22, you know. Yes, very much I, so. I yeah. quite like that there's a kind of, we. I love these films too and I watch them with my daughter and the, there's a certain slightly wearying interchangeability after a little while uh, mm-hmm. of, the, of the kind of leads and they're all lovely, perky, American kind of girls and all the rest of it, but... Um, it's kind of nice to see them a little creaky around the edges. Yeah, exactly. And, and I do think, I mean, you, you know, you mentioned The Princess Bride, which is one of my all-time favourite films. But I, I feel like they knew what they were doing. That very first shot of him, he's, he's wherever he is, working on the, the sign of the guest house. And he looks around. And I swear they've tried to get exactly the same hair and exactly the same angle as when, you know, Wesley first turns up in The Princess Bride. I kept you know, thinking the whole, they're going to get wish. him to say, as you wish, they're going to make him say it. He's just going to say it. <laughs> He's going to say it with a wink at the end and then they're going to turn the wink into kind of sparkly effect that kind of surrounds <laughs> his head. I thought, oh, come on, you can't have... And then I felt slightly sorry for the actor who presumably has spent his entire life with people asking him to say it. Um, but, That's... you know, the film has charm. I didn't think it would it have taken much when she says, will you dance with me or whatever? He could have just done it. Oh, my goodness, if he's going to dye his hair that colour, he might as well just have done it. Exactly, absolutely. Go the full, go the whole hog, you know, don't go even hold back. Go Wesley. <laughs> um, and I, look, aside from being a romance novelist who lives in a Scottish castle, the other reason that you're perfect to talk about this and, and the most qualified person I could think of is you've written is it eight different books with Christmas in the title. 
Oh, I haven't read all of them, but I've read, I think, at least five. I was counting up. That's, oh, do you know, you would know better than me. I don't um, (laughs) keep, well, the thing is, I quite like writing festive themed books. And then Mm. I, it's not really a trade secret, but uh, Christmas tends to enter the title at the kind of publication stage. um, Right. uh, For just so that people are very clear what they're buying. Um, (laughs) So uh, there is an element about the goodness. Okay, that's quite a lot. I am a big Christmas yeah, fan. I, think, I mean, you can't you can't really get away from it. And it is, you know, it is a period of the year when it which seems to lend itself to romantic stories. I guess. I, I guess. Is that well, right? I think partly that. I tell you what, the other thing about Christmas, which is useful for novelists, and you'll see the same thing in weddings, is it has a ticking bomb structure mm-hmm. because you have an absolute cut off that everybody understands, whether it's the wedding day or the Christmas day, or you know, and and you see these things come up a lot in all sorts of narrative fiction, not just romantic fiction. So obviously in James yeah. Bond, it would be a real bomb. But in this kind of world that we're in, it's the metaphorical bomb of is stuff going to be ready for Christmas or is it going to be a complete nightmare and disaster? And uh, so that in itself, when you have a certain amount of pressure on uh, mm. to things, um, is is one of the reasons why I think it's so popular amongst a lot of novels. Yeah, I, I suppose, it, you know, because you, you do get that... Um... It sometimes feels quite artificial in some romances and rom-cons and so on, where you get the the run for love at the end and they're running to catch their oh, person yeah. wherever. And sometimes you're a bit like, you're sitting there going, but, you know, you live next door to each other. Like, why why, why are you running? Like, they'll be they'll be there. <laughs> like, it's not, it's not a problem. Whereas, you know, like you say, if you have that sort of ticking clock element and something has to happen at Christmas, then you don't have to worry about that. Yeah, no, it is. It makes it fun. I can't. There's no rom com so bad that I won't sit through it to that final kiss. There's, oh, you know, too. there's, yeah. there's, there's no pair of you know actors so mismatched or so unbelievable or so unlikable that I won't end up. I was, I was about to say the word of the worst one I've ever seen there, but I shan't. But, they, <laughs> but I'm always, I, I'm in for the finish. I always like the kiss. Yeah. Yeah, and I always feel a bit cheated. Like, um, you know, I I actually quite like Bollywood films. I love all the colours and the dancing and the music and everything. But they tend not to kiss because it's uh, it's seen as being a bit risque. Mm-hmm. And I genuinely I have trouble with it. I I feel a bit cheated at the end. I'm like, what what well, what the heck, come guys? On. Come on, <laughs> you know. But maybe that's why they do a dance. There's just a hearty hug. Everybody loves a dance. Yeah. So, so you know, you Everybody get a dance. A dance. So, <laughs> and there was, I mean, there was Kaylee in, in this as well, and and. Um, I was watching it with my sister who went to uni in, in uh, Scotland and she was she was starting off the Kaylee scene. She was like, I'm not sure this is real Kayleeing. And then kept watching, was like, Oh, okay, yeah, all right. That's that. Well, there's a, a pub bit Scottish where hands. they hop about a bit and you're like, What are you doing now? Uh, which doesn't really count. But they do they do do it later. I think this the funny thing about it is, I mean, it's terrible, you know, in terms of just stuff that it, it doesn't get right about Scotland, you know, and, and a, a lot of it is just shorthand you know that Scottish people would talk about to each other whether or not they're going to buy a condominium <laughs> as if uh, one would know what that was or that the, <laughs> at the one point Duke walks into a pub he's never been before he says a whiskey large and so what, what what kind of way do you want a malt do you want a black you know the idea that he literally goes in and asks for a pint of your lager beer please barman is you know so there's all sorts of nonsense but on the other hand, that quite often you'll find people, and it slightly winds me up, but the, the, and most Scottish people up, 
that, that we do have Kayleys, you know, we do have mm-hmm. knitting circles. We do call people dobbers worse and, um, you know, and speak slightly differently. And mm-hmm. I, I get slightly, it's always amazing to me when English people are kind of quite surprised that, you know, culturally we're different and that some of those things are different. You know, you wouldn't really go to a wedding without a bit of a Kaylee um, or, you know, no, a party or whatever. Not. So, yeah. um, you know, so it's kind of nice to see that. Yeah, I, I was going to ask about some of those kind of the Scottishness elements because, you know, I was thinking of another Scottish set, American-made rom-com Maid of Honour. I imagine you might have seen it at some point, which is the one where uh, the, the, there's two best friends and she's getting married to a Scottish guy who, of course, turns out to be a laird and the owner of a whiskey distillery. I can't remember it. Anyway. Oh, yes, I have anyway. seen it. Uh-huh. But anyway. she, I, I just remember that one because I felt like every single possible Scottish cliche was in that, you know, everybody's wearing tartan. There's the person who has a very thick and incomprehensible accent. Of course, the guy is a laird. Of course, I think there's caber tossing in it even. I mean, there's just like every cliche in the book. So I was kind of wondering how they scored on the Scottish scale by comparison. But I feel like, you know, it's a bit more restrained. I don't don't mind it. It just, it feels very lazy they, they literally don't google anything so like they wear he, he wears like um the royal stuart tartan which is the tartan that you wear if you don't have a family tartan but he's meant to be like this 10 duke uh, you know it, it's literally and all you had to do was google there the the, the the idea that the village is called dunbar there's a really big town called dunbar um, you know, all you needed to do in a completely different part of Scotland, all you needed to do was Google it once and then change one letter and call it Dunlar and nobody would mind. <laughs> so that slightly irritates me. The, the the sheer, you know, lack of imagination that says, right, we're going to set this film in Scotland. OK, what kind of kilts is he going to have? Doesn't matter. Just the first one that comes to, you know, just the first one that comes to mind is fine. What get you know that, and also the, a lot of the cast are English doing Scottish accents. I'm like, you're you're right here. You're in Edinburgh. We have a thriving and by the way, extremely diverse um collection of tremendous actors to choose from in Edinburgh and Glasgow and all over the place. So yeah. why are you making you know people put on Scottish accents for money? Feels yeah. a bit like really. I thought the whole point of these days was we didn't do that so much we didn't absolutely have to put on you know scotch face <laughs> that's terrible <laughs> um so actually it's not the cliches i mind it's the lack of even two seconds of of googling research i'd even have quite like someone at some point for her to say oh i like your castle and for him to say it's not a castle because spoiler alert it's not a castle. It's a manor. <gasps> what? They lie yeah, to castles, us. I know. Castles are fortified buildings. And, you know, in the scheme of things, does it matter? No. Would it have taken two seconds to not do that? Mm. Anyway. Gosh, look at me getting all agitated. It's a perfectly <laughs> enjoyable film. So actually, no, the, the hooktory trickery stuff, I really don't mind a little bit of tartan mm-hmm. and tinsel. I think that is all kind of sweet and kind of fun and fine to have it. When my husband is not from Scotland, when we moved here, he spent two years in not understanding a single word that was said to him by anybody. So, you know, <laughs> it's it's not really, I'm not kind of tremendously insulted by all that. I am slightly, it, it, you know, it, it, they've gone to a lot of trouble. The big, it's Dalmini House where they set it, which is the most 
gorgeous stately home just outside Edinburgh, mm. probably worth about 12 million. So I'm quite impressed by Brooke Shields' novel writing wow. career. Yeah, she's doing well for herself. She's doing very well for herself. Uh, um, you know, and so it's showing off Scotland in a in a lovely way. The other nice thing is they shot it in August, uh, if you watch. And we had, traditionally, obviously, you'd expect us to have a pretty terrible summer. We had the most glorious, the summer of 2021 was the most beautiful summer on record for most of us and the sunniest since like 1941 or something. So there's quite a lot of endearingly trying to hide unexpectedly beautiful weather. <laughs> but it's a getting shawls on and stuff. Yeah. I suppose they could justify some of that by the fact that, you know, uh, this takes place over a number of months, which, by the way, is like your most recent book, which is The Christmas Bookshop, which I have been reading and loving. But, you know, it's it's actually nice sometimes when you actually give people time to fall in love and it doesn't always all happen over a week before Christmas, which a lot of these films obviously, you know, do. This one, they legitimately spend three months together. Well, they do, but you have no real sense as to what... Like in that three months where, um, if you haven't seen it yet, she moves in while he thinks she's going to hate it and is then going to steal her deposit money. It's, 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 it's kind of a criminal setup, but let's... It's a little criminal, yeah. It, it, basically a criminal offence. But the, there's absolutely... She's never shown getting to grips with running a gigantic estate. Now, we do not run a gigantic estate. It's a wee castle. We still have to call uh, Heritage Scotland Every time we want to open a fireplace or change a window or put a new or paint uh, the door or change mm-hmm. anything, any single tiny thing, the you know, and and so it would have been. She's got three months. That Brooke, there is a lot of heritage admin that is involved with running land uh, at a big house in Scotland, and um, actually, although of course that would turn it into a really formidable dull film. At one point, <laughs> at one point, she gets, I mean, it'd be different. It would be different. <laughs> it's a documentary, but the um, at one point she mentions she gets bat. There's a bat in the bedroom, and um, the Scottish Bat Preservation Trust strikes fear into the heart of all Scottish homeowners because bats are so protected in Scotland that they can basically move you out of your house. <laughs> so it's. Basically, if you have a bat, not that we've ever had a bat, right? Hypothetically, if one does have mm-hmm. a bat, uh, you'd never mention it. Now, if someone says wow. you've got a bat in the house, you go, no, it's not. It's a blackbird of some kind. <laughs> so, yeah, no, but they gloss over the, the more technical castle owning yeah. issues. So, probably. I, I mean, at, l- at least they showed that the castle had issues, you know, which again, not every one of these kind of films does. So, you know, it is crumbling. The roof, the roof is leaking. That's probably, what, £200,000 right there just to fix the roof. You know, things do need fix. I mean, that's a tiny start maybe, but yeah, you're right. There should have been more admin. There should have been. <laughs> what all films need. Oh, they could have what been a mon- but I would have put in a jazzy montage. I mean, they use a lot of English uh, music as well, which is really annoying. Mm-hmm. You know, this Robbie Williams is on the soundtrack. You know, it's the whole point about Robbie Williams is that he's an English icon. But, you know, they could have shown her slight, you know, slightly going, oh, this is quite a big job rather than just sitting around knitting all day. And, and yes. being a hairdresser for some reason. Did you get that? Was there some setup that I missed to the hairdressing? No. No, that seemed to come out of nowhere for me too. Yeah, that that was not something I I anticipated. Uh, Yeah, the the hairdressing was was kind of baffling because she's she should be learning to run the estate. Although we're we're kind of left to assume that she's definitely trying to write a book, and she's hairdressing for some reason and knitting, like and cycling around, and falling in love. Like it's a it's a packed schedule. 
It, it's she's very very busy. I mean, the thing is, I suppose it's a kind of truth. I suppose the hairdressing is put there. She's a magic genius hairdresser for no reason. Um, if she was having trouble making friends, but in fact, from the second she arrives, everybody mm. just makes friends with her. There's no jeopardy or about this issue. So, no. the no. Uh, on the other hand, I think that's reasonably realistic. Um, yeah, know, people are. If you've just got village, yeah. everyone's yeah. going to be happy to. Well, no. One thing I wanted to ask you is, like, when she so when she arrives, basically everybody instantly recognizes her. First of all, so is that something that you've had? Do you get that a lot? Do people recognize you on site? Not a lot. I mean, occasionally. But if I was the level that she is going on chat mm-hmm. shows and stuff, then yeah, Jilly Cooper gets recognized everywhere. Yeah, I suppose she so. Goes, she's yeah, she know. does seem to be like Jilly Cooper, Jackie Collins kind yeah, of level. Yeah, that's right. It? Jackie Collins gets right. Yeah, I suppose you know, depending where you are. But Jojo Moyes, a lot of people would Marion Keys. Mm-hmm. Most people would mm-hmm. recognize in the street. So actually, that element of it wasn't as mad as you would think. I know uh, when David Nichols wrote me me before you. And of course, mm-hmm. he's a friend of mine and. People got very upset with him. A major character dies in that book, and people yeah. genuinely got terribly, terribly annoyed. So actually, and actually, I loved her doing the chat shows with Drew Barrymore. Yeah, especially at the yeah. end, I could have obviously they're friends in real life. I could have done with loads of that all the way through. They could have punctuated it with Drew coming to do a. <laughs> it's nice. Plus, I haven't seen Drew Barrymore in anything for ages. She's fantastic. I love watching. Yeah, she's so good. And I think she, I mean, she's been doing her chat show, I guess. Like, she genuinely has it. Oh, is that so. a real chat show? Yeah, it's a real chat show, I believe, yeah. <laughs> there yeah. you go, guys. Such a realistic film, I simply couldn't tell. <laughs> but yeah, that, that was the other thing I was going to ask you about. You know, have you had readers cross with you over plot developments? Is You know, have you ha- I mean, you probably haven't had to go into hiding, I hope. But um, I will tell you. Have you had angry letters? I will tell you this, that um, I did write, I won't tell you which one, but in one of my novels, I do kill off a main character. I did kill off a main character. And I sent it in, as normally happens to my agent and my editor in London, which is the first Mm -hmm. people that see it. And within 24 hours, they were on the phone going, we're not doing this. Don't send it to the Americans. Do not send it to your foreign rights agent. No one else is going to see this. And they basically, you're not doing it. It will destroy your career. And we are going to stop this, salt the earth and never. Which is why I was kind of watching that going, why your so, so friendly agent would just never have let you do that. You know, if your career was important to you mm-hmm. and of course the whole point about the film is that she wants to find something else but mm-hmm. uh yeah uh, in most cases your editor and your i mean if you're really huge and you were determined to go ahead with it then mm-hmm. they would let you but yeah. um but if you were committing commercial suicide like that there would be concerns because people's listen to how serious i am about this oh, no no that? it's a genuine historic issue. historic scotland this <laughs> but but it you know you have to remember if you write commercial fiction which i do and in the film brute shields does a lot of people's jobs hang off your books because publishers also publish a lot of books that may be wonderful but don't make money so um you know, you have to weigh all that up. So actually, yeah, I killed a killed a, a character in a main bit, and they just said, "No, this will you're not." <laughs> wasn't really don't do it. You're not doing it. <laughs> we're never go home. Rewrite the last third, and we're never going to speak of it. So um, that I find, yeah, that, that was it was interesting from that point yeah. of view. But yes, it's, it's certainly possible for people at the very very top of the publishing tree to live like that. Mm. It, it, it honestly, it, it, there was a moment in this film where I thought it was going to go like misery. If people have seen the, the Stephen King movie Misery, where uh, isn't it James Can kills off the heroine of his books and and gets you know kidnapped and mutilated by a deranged fan, and you know that would have been an, an interesting twist 
on the genre. Well, then, uh, yeah, well, of course, and in this, they have a, a, a crowd of people, you know, and, mm, and picketing. Make, picketing her. And actually, both those films are, writers love those films. I, we don't see what's terrible about them at all. The idea that someone would get so invested in your work that they'd actually kidnap you is kind of awesome. It's like, we love you so much, we're going to go out and picket you. It's a writer's <laughs> dream, both of those things. Fantasy. <laughs> And I mean, you know, the idea in the film is that she's based her the hero of these books, who she then kills off, on her ex-husband. You know, do you base characters on real life people or do you do you sort of think that's uh, dangerous? Um, I think in early books, everybody does. So if you read anybody, the polite thing if you ever meet a novelist is don't read their first novel because it will be heinously, you know, revealing and 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 embarrassing mm -hmm. and based on the lies but then as you get further down the line then it becomes you tend to pick up characteristics from bits little snatches like mm -hmm. i was at a kind of piano camp thing with a scientist and i don't work with a lot of scientists and his cadences were so interesting he spoke everything was either correct or not you know true or false and he mm -hmm. thought very carefully before he spoke I don't, I don't know anyone like that um and that was you know that kind of thing was interesting so I took a you know you take a little bit of this and and a little bit of that so no I wouldn't base one sole character I mean if you do want to take my advice to anybody that's writing is if you do want to use characteristics of somebody you know just make sure you describe them in the text as phenomenally good looking because then <laughs> nobody minds you can they could be an axe murderer or serial they don't care as long as they're described as extremely sexy and attractive then you know you can pretty much use them at will um but i use little snatches all the time i i was i write in coffee shops and i was sitting in one the other day and an older woman came in with someone who was obviously her daughter and before she was halfway through the door she was cold and she didn't want to sit there and she didn't like the look of the cakes. You got everything about the woman and the daughter's relationship by the time they were 30 seconds in the door. And I thought, oh, great, okay. You know, you're, that, you'll come in in some. So it's, it's, it's little bits. Filing that one away. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and her, uh, the, the, right, so the final sort of factual question I wanted to ask about the film, um, she's written 12 novels in I think 20 years, we're told. What's, I mean, that's lower than your own output, I think, but did, did that sound kind of realistic? Yeah, no, the, the big stuff genuinely, most of the time they're terrible and they're, they're very bad at having things like the big trope everyone thinks is hilarious is if you can't finish a book, uh, the publishers will send someone over to help you. <laughs> yeah. so they'll send something around to babysit or, you know, they've got some kind of service that does that or your agent's like your confidant and best friend. And that looked like it was going to go that way and then it didn't. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, 12 novels in 20 years, sounds about right. And yeah. I write a lot because I, I like it and because actually I tend to write the Christmas ones as extras that we kind of... Mm. Okay. Slip, kind of slip in because they're not obviously your selling time for both for a Christmas film and for a Christmas book it's really short um, <laughs> so so actually you know all of that was was pretty much on point the big mystery to me in the end was why she would leave that New York apartment you, you oh get an, you get an interior for about four seconds and it's clearly <laughs> sensationally beautiful and fabulous and do you know my big big moment growing up was we went to see Romancing the Stone in the cinema mm -hmm. as a family and the first scene of that if you remember is Kathleen Turner's Joan Wilder who's also a romantic mm -hmm. novelist in her little apartment in Manhattan finishing yeah. her novel 
uh, that her making agent, herself cry, yeah, and making herself cry that her agent written us. I, that was that and Lois Lane with her mm-hmm. penthouse apartment in also in New York, where my total icons as a child completely the idea that you could be a woman right have a space of your own make enough money by doing that to live how you wanted to live in New York was completely transformed that was my only dream my only fancy so you know all the jungle stuff and romancing the stone is of no interest to me you know it's just <laughs> and I was a bit like that was great she was I was like oh you know come visit Scotland it's great but, yeah, you absolutely. Know, yeah. Through your typing, you have built yourself this astonishing place in Manhattan. And then, you know, mm-hmm. enjoy it. <laughs> I just, I really hope she kept that apartment as well as the castle. I hope she had the <laughs> spare sure money she, to do both. Do you know I what? Mean, anyone that can, what was it, 12, 12 beds? Oh, that's the other stupid thing. He's like, oh, it's got 12 bedrooms and 10 bathrooms. I'm like, no, it doesn't, mate. It's got 12 bedrooms and two bathrooms. <laughs> I'm afraid that's how it works. Um, but anybody that can take on like, you know, 400 odd acres on a whim plus running costs, I'm sure she's kept yeah. with New York apart. Yeah, yes, I, I, let I us pray so. for Brooke, Helen. <laughs> let us pray for her. Poor, this poor, poor creature who only has an amazing New York apartment, a fabulous <laughs> Scottish castle with, by the way, you know, uh, uh, an owner who has been really invested in land management and preservation and conservation and all of that, you know. Let's hope she's okay. It is true. There are many, many tall, blonde, single, handsome, kind, clever dukes with their own castles just waiting to be scooped up around here. I can tell you. So I've, many. I, I've got to come visit. This really? sounds amazing. So many. <laughs> so many. So many. <laughs> oh, well, listen, thank you so much for doing this. I should, before we go, I just say, like I say, I've been reading The Christmas Bookshop and I'm having the best time because it's not just, is it a romance? It's also about a sort of, sister's relationship and a family relationship which I thought was a really lovely addition and a really important one as well thank you that's very nice to see I like writing children at Christmas they're so hilarious they're trying to <laughs> yeah. des- I love the desperate way they try and cover up their kind of insane greed with you know <laughs> it's just so fascinating to watch them for yeah my actually my small nephew is, is currently downstairs taking over the decoration of the Christmas tree and uh, insisting that he put on the lights. Oh, we've had a lot of debate because this is the, technically the first week of Advent, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. So yeah. it's Advent, but it's not December. I don't know when True. you're listening to us, but that's where we are. Feels like it's a big wait till December this year, but it's such it a really strict rule. Yeah. But it's coming. It's getting close. It's getting close. Yeah. It's fine. But listen, um, thank you so much for, for talking to us. And yes, if people haven't read The Christmas Bookshop, they should. And indeed, all the other ones. Um, I've forgotten the names of all of them. There was... A Christmas oh, Island. <laughs> <laughs> and you've also written for Doctor Who, which is also associated yes. with Christmas. Yeah, so. I have never... I Have I written a Christmassy one? I've written a wintry one. I haven't written a Christmassy one. Okay. So there's still, there's still you know, something to be done there. You've oh, still got an ambition to fill. Yes, a New York apartment. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Jon Wilder. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> and Jenny Colgan, thanks very much for joining us. Cheers. Oh, lovely. Thank you. Well, that's it for this episode of Bah Humbug. Please join us next time for more Christmas movies madness. In the meantime, I've been your host, Helen O'Hara. This podcast is edited by Ben Williams and produced by Kobe Omanaka for Stripped Media. And if you've enjoyed the pod, please do rate us with five shiny Christmas stars wherever you listen to your podcasts. But whatever you do, happy holidays! (laughs) 